Okay, everybody, this is Dr. Telly for History 311. <clears throat> uh, today we're going to be talking more about kind of the rising resistance, rising, um, hmm, I don't know, I don't know. It's kind of this kind of increase in violence prior to the Civil War. Increase in violence prior to the Civil War. Kind of an increasing of tension. So if you go over to the PowerPoint, you're going to see, first of all, people going to, through the Underground Railroad trying to get to Canada West. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But in general, I mean, after you have Nat Turner's Rebellion in 1831, um, it just seems that the country is really starting to get a bit more violent, a bit more militant in terms of the way they talk about slavery. And a lot of that is the legacy of Taylor, I mean, of Turner, not Taylor. Um, Nat Turner really galvanized people both for and against slavery. Uh, just basically the sheer violence of his act really got people on both sides of the issue a lot more militant about what they talked about. And, and, and by the way, I should mention, like, America in general is going through some stuff with the terms of violence. Um, Manifest Destiny is going on right now. Uh, Manifest basically is all about, uh, you know, making sure America gets from sea to signing she really manifest in being pretty brutal towards Native Americans. You also have ethnology, which basically it's, it says that racism is quote-unquote scientific, uh, that there's like a hierarchy of races, and, and white people are just superior based upon science. Um, natural selection, early Darwinism, if you want to talk about it that way. And it kind of gives a justification for a continued enslavement. It's like, you know, we don't want to keep these slaves, but nature wants us to do it. You also have things like nativism. Uh, nativism is happening on, on as well, uh, basically against various immigrant groups who are coming in. Um... This idea that, you know, people born in America, quote-unquote Native Americans, it's, I know the term Native American means Indian, but this time period it means white persons born in America, not immigrants or black persons, or what needs to be. And so you start having a lot more violence just going on across the entire country. And across the entire country. Now, although I said that slave insurrections were really not that common and really caused a lot more talk about violence, actual violence, that's not the case for anti-black and anti-abolitionist riots, which are pretty damn common, frankly. Uh, they started out in the 1820s and got way more common as time went on. Uh, they're mainly in cities, and they mainly target black folks and black folks' property. And unlike other instances, this is really centered primarily in the Northeast. Uh, slave rebellions generally happen in places where you have a lot of slaves. These anti-black and anti-abolitionist riots generally tend to happen in places like the Northeast, are places where you have not as many various slaves, uh, black people in general. Uh, Philadelphia had it really bad. Philadelphia probably had some of the worst race riots in this time period. Um, quite a bit going on there. A lot of that has to do with um, immigrants. Uh, actually, Irish immigrants tend to be some of the ringleaders of this. Um, Irish immigrants are coming in because of the potato famine and things like that. Uh, Irish are considered on a very low level of society, maybe slightly above or equal to African Americans, or free black or enslaved people. And so you kind of have a sense that basically the Irish are really ringleading this so they can be accepted as quote-unquote good Americans. And there's a really strong idea that most of this violence is based upon things like economics and job competition. If you go over one slide, you are going to see a ton of these various riots. If you look right there, you're going to see the riots all over the place. Philadelphia's got the most, as you can tell. But there's a lot of different places where you're having anti-black, anti-abolitionist riots. Uh, for instance, you have some in Cincinnati and in Ohio, which basically, blacks residents flee to Canada. 
Um, Ohio is one of those places. Not as strongly as Oregon is later on, but basically they don't allow, it's a free soil state. And so they don't allow slave labor, but also they're not too keen on black people in general. Now you might be wondering, why aren't there anti-black riots in the Deep South? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, mainly because there's not a lot of free people of color to really be the victims of this sort of thing. And also, slaves are bad targets for violence. Um, committing violence against slaves for just existing is probably going to get you killed by the slave's master. Um, remember, there's all sorts of different dynamics in play here. Now, this is going to be complicated immensely if you go over one slide by freaking Mexico and Texas, to be specific. Uh, Texas really, 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 really is kind of the fly in the ointment, all right? Uh, it's a giant cluster fudge, and you know I don't mean the word fudge. You see, Mexico gained independence from Spain and abolished slavery shortly thereafter. Uh, Mexico did not really want slaves. However, in, able, in order to get settlers to come to Texas, they somewhat allow slavery. They, they pretty much tell the people coming over, um, hey... Uh, you can have slavery. We'd rather you not have slavery, but you can have slavery just to try to attack, attract various white settlers. Uh, the white settlers, almost immediately, they want to go away from Mexico, and they want to join the U.S., really, to be honest. Um, you might hear Texans talking about how, oh, we're a great independent place, we're our own independent nation. Texas is an independent nation sucked. It really just wanted to become part of the U.S. So, Texas becomes free in 1836. That's not too surprising. The Alamo, Davy Crockett, crap like that. Um, and almost tries immediately to apply for admission to the Union. Um, almost immediately, Texas wants to join the United States. Uh, Mexico doesn't like that. Mexico figured out, hey, we can wait around for a little bit. Uh, Texas is going to become desperate because they don't have really have the best economy at this time period. Mexico doesn't want to allow this to happen. And also, weirdly enough, the U.S. doesn't want to allow this to happen. They're afraid it's going to upset the balance of power for everything. Because Texas is such a large state with such a large territory um, and the, theoretically, it would become several states. It could theoretically become several states. It would really upset the whole balance between slavery and freedom. And still, even despite of this, uh, Polk, uh, James K. Polk, runs for president of the United States with the promise of annexing Texas. They do go to war with Mexico for Texas. We end up winning. Uh, the result of this is that the U.S. gets a lot more territory. Uh, they get sovereignty over Texas, and they also get more land from Mexico, including California. Now, if you don't know much about California, know this. California is amazing for agriculture. Um, still to this day, a lot of our food comes from California. California, about as good as it gets for agriculture. And so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of salivating whether this new California territory is going to be slave or free. And the resulting compromise of 1850, we're going to talk about that later, does set some borders, but also strengthens the Fugitive Slave Law. Um, Fugitive Slave Act basically says that basically if there are runaway slaves, they can be captured, and states have a right and an imperative to basically capture runaway slaves and return them to their masters. That's kind of a compromise they did quite a bit, is basically the southern states would allow for free territory to come into position as long as they were ensured that their slaves could not run away to this free territory. And the hope was that the U.S. would say would spread slowly. I cannot iterate this enough. There's a hope that the U.S. Would, is going to spread slowly uh, and make sure that their slave and free states keep everything balanced. But I will admit the size of Texas kind of freaked everybody out. 
Now, a result of all this violence, of all this uncertainty, um, a lot more race violence really keeps getting bigger, all right? The anti-slavery movement, it started moving towards more radical and possibly violent action. And a lot more black abolitionists get involved. They're not necessarily the ones who are like the spokespeople yet, but they're just more and more black, not politicians, abolitionists, are getting involved with abolition. This really starts going on with the American Anti-Slave Society. Uh, The American Anti-Slave Society, as I've mentioned before, that is the big one. This is the turning point of the abolitionist cause. William Lloyd Garrison is the one behind it. Uh, It is talking about immediate, uncompensated emancipation of black folks. Um, They're not necessarily saying violence, but they're saying we need to get rid of slavery immediately. Uh, You actually do have some black people involved in the founding of it, but the main spokesperson, of course, is William Lloyd Garrison. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison is the main one behind this. Uh, He still could be condescending to black members of the organization. He tries, but he can be condescending. Still, the uh, the AAS, the American Anti-Slave Society, is unusual for abolition societies in that it lets black men be full members, which is huge, even for abolition societies. I I should iterate that. Now, this is a problem, though, because they are okay with black people being members. They're not okay with women being members. In fact, that's ultimately what's going to split the organization, is basically, can women become leaders or membership of this organization? Now, at first, um, various black individuals and women, they form auxiliaries to the larger organizations. Uh, theoretically, they're in the same cause, but they are definitely subordinate to the WAWS. Uh, women in particular are very marginalized. In fact, most women's groups are integrated. Uh, while the men were generally had separate black and white organizations, the women auxiliary organizations are generally integrated, and they actually have really little issue with it. Um, maybe even surprisingly, I guess because they're women and women are very marginalized in this time period, both black and white women, as we can, as we able to tell, they kind of got along okay in these various organizations. Uh, the thing is, though, they are not very prominent. They have very little real authority. Um, they mainly do things like fundraising, uh, bake sales, bazaars, like basically trying to get attention. They're very rarely, if ever, spokespeople for it. If you go over one picture, you're going to see basically some of the founding members of the Philadelphia Anti-Slave Society. Uh, you can see that there's only one black person in this entire thing, but still it is interesting that there is one that is unique even for anti-slavery societies. However, you start having more feminism and feminists kind of get involved with this, uh, kind of challenging some of the male culture. They would probably not use the term feminist to describe themselves. I should, I should, I should strongly say that. That being said, though, you do have more women get more positions of prominence, uh, giving more speeches, doing some writing. Uh, most central these are Sojourner Truth. Uh, Sojourner Truth, uh, she is a very famous uh, African-American woman speaker. She starts giving more of these speeches, being a woman in charge of this, and a black woman at that. So since the American Anti-Slave Society is not really interested in violence to get rid of um, slavery, they want to get rid of slavery immediately, they say they want to do it through what's called moral cessation. Moral cessation. Basically trying to appeal towards people's Christian conscience. All right? They argue that slavery is a sin, it's a crime, and it's an ineffective labor system. All right? Basically, the American Anti-Slave Society wants to persuade Northerners to pressure slaveholders 
to get rid of them immediately. They're, they're mainly talking about the souls of the masters, weirdly enough. Their mainly moral arguments are about the master. They say that slavery damns the master because of the dominance over others, there's brutality, the sexual exploitation of black women. And that, to be fair, they also talk about how slavery was enriching white industrialists and that was putting their very soul in peril as well. And they try to put out literature through the mail to convince slave masters to get rid of their slaves. And the southern states got really upset about it. They got very upset about it. And uh, you can see one of these flyers that they send out. And in response to this, the southern slaves go kind of interesting. They pretty much try to convince the federal government to stop the mail. So pretty much they, the, the South is like, look, we, we are going to stop you from sending this mail stuff. We think you're you know, in subordination. We think you're rising up dissent within the South. Uh, they try to convince the North to do this. That's a federal thing. Uh, getting rid of the mail is technically mail fraud. So the compromise, which is really not a compromise if you think about it for more than two seconds, is that basically Congress passes what's known as the gag rule, which says, okay, the only way you can mail somebody a slave pamphlet is if they are on a list that says they're okay with getting abolitionist mailings in the South. Yes, that is problematic. That is very problematic. Uh, kind of to kind of to get around this, trying to get around this, uh, the American Anti-Slave Society starts sending out pairs of agents to give talks against slavery. Basically, you know, if we can't do it through the mail, we're going to do it through lectures. We're going to do it through speeches. They start sending agents in pairs. Sometimes it's one black and one white. Sometimes it's two white. They didn't ever send two black. And one of them... One of them is a guy by the name of Frederick Douglass, who you probably need to think about because he's pretty important. Uh, Frederick Douglass is one of these agents. He gets a start with the AAAS. Um, he's really tight with William Lloyd Garrison until they ultimately do split. Uh, the thing is, they, the, the, uh, the idea is they're going to get former slaves to go and talk about their experience, maybe show their beaten back, that sort of thing. Um, it could be seen as marginalizing because they only want the slaves to talk about like what it was like, the former slaves only to talk about what it was like when they were a slave, not what they've done since. Uh, they face riots and protests pretty much wherever they go. Uh, even northern audiences are against these sort of speakers, mainly because of the idea of equality. Remember, the north is generally against slavery, but they're not cool with the idea of racial equality. Um, Frederick Douglass is actually killed in Indiana, which is not exactly a southern stronghold. Now, there is support within the black community. There's a growing free black population in the North that gets involved with it. They have some businesses and the like. It's going to become the, kind of the bedrock of black abolitionist societies. Uh, they do improve the, the conditions for black folks in the North, integrating schools, uh, black suffrages, allowing black people to serve on juries, even allowing uh, black people to testify against white people in court. Remember, that was the thing that screwed over the barber of Natchez. Uh, this is only in the North, though. Only in the North, I should say. That basically, that you allow a black person to testify against a white person. And also, of course, um, you have the churches. Uh, churches, black churches, are very, very, very involved in the anti-slavery cause. Um, once again, this is one of those black church things. You cannot overstate how crazy important black churches are in this. A lot of the lead abolitionists are ministers uh, because they are you know, respected members of the, uh, of the group, of the... Uh, of society, and also black churches would be forums where 
these abolition speakers, even white abolitionists, were allowed to speak because most white churches wouldn't let them speak. It's seen as a little too touchy, a little too much. Uh, there are some black newspapers. I'm not going to ask you to know all the black newspapers. Uh, they're pretty important in the in the um, abolition movement. Uh, even Frederick Douglass had a paper for a while. Uh, their main problem, though, is um, readership. All right, it's very hard for them to find readership because black folks in this time period tend to be poor and also less literate. And at the end of the day, a newspaper is a business and has to make money. So um, some do exist, often very, 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 very heavily subsidized by uh, various organizations, various organizations. Um, they have an impact, but just realize it's nowhere near as big as black churches. Um, guys, if you don't know much about black churches and black history, black churches are super important. Now, as I said, the American Anti-Slave Society ultimately splits, all right? The American Anti-Slave Society ultimately splits in 1840. Um, it splits mainly over the role of women and also Garrison's increasing radicalism. Uh, most members become part of what's known as the, here we go, the AFAS, <laughs> the American Foreign Anti-Slave Society, the American and Foreign Anti-Slave Society. So basically they're saying it's now a worldwide organization. Uh, pretty much Garrison, um, he's way more radical now. He pretty much believes that American society has gotten so tainted by racism, only disillusion would solve it. Okay? Basically, only disillusion, only separating would do it. Um, he's already talking about seceding from the Union. He's actually saying, let the southern states go. Let them get out of here. Maybe we should leave them, that sort of thing. Um, he is a min he and a minority keep control of the AASS or the old organization. All right, now those who want things that are a little bit more traditional, a little bit of a, you know more traditional stand on women, they don't want to be as radical as Garrison. Uh, they join the American and Foreign Anti-Slave Society. Uh, others who feel like they should lean more into religion form the Liberty Party. Uh, the Liberty Party is the first anti-slave political party in American history, it won't be the last. It doesn't last very long. Uh, the Whigs would later on kind of take up some of that. So would the Free Soil Party. All these would come together to form the modern Republican, not the modern Republican Party, but the Republican Party. It comes about from it. Uh, the Liberty Party has very limited success. Uh, a lot of black clergy also leave, um, leave the... Um, leave Garrison. They think he's gotten a little too radical, talking about dis disunion, things like that. A few stave. Um, the, the A, the American and Foreign Anti-Slave Society has a lot more black members in leadership, but Douglas and a few others do stay with Garrison. Uh, Frederick Douglass does stay with it. Uh, black folks were allowed in the Liberty Party, however, there's a problem. In most states, black people aren't allowed to vote. <laughs> also, it does help some slaves escape at times. So radicalism is kind of causing splits. And also there's more aggressive abolition going on. Uh, basically, the Liberty Party believes that they could stay in the Union and get rid of slavery, but uh, the tone is starting to change. You know, last, last lecture I talked about how people are talking about gradual emancipation, compensated emancipation. 
Uh, now they're talking more about escape and rebellion. They're not going violent yet. They're not saying, hey, we need more Nat Turners, but a bit more defiant in the way that they want to get um, freedom. And, and the kind of line of what's suitable, what's respectable, is definitely changing. And this really changes with the Amistad and the Creole. Uh, the Amistad and the Creole, they are two slave revolts you might have heard of. They're various ships. In 1839, the the captives of a Spanish slaver called the Amistad, they rebelled and they took over the ship. Um, They weren't American by any stretch. They tried to sail home. They really couldn't figure out how to sail home because it happens. And basically, um, they're captured along the coast of Long Island by a U.S. warship. The slaves of the Amistad are jailed in New Haven, Connecticut. While the country decides their fate, uh, basically, the guy who argues their fate for him is a dude by the name of John Quincy Adams. Uh, John Quincy Adams, if you haven't heard of him, he is a former president. He's a former president who's now a congressman and says, you know what, I'll argue your case in front of the Supreme Court. And uh, the Supreme Court in 1841 declares him to be free, which has so many legal loopholes because, remember, they're not American in the slightest. Um, they are just slaves who... <laughs> Free, you know, they, they had an insurrection, they came to America, and basically America's like, yeah, y'all free, y'all cool. Uh, the more local one is the Creole. The Creole is a ship that was sailing from Richmond to um, New Orleans. It's a brig being sold from Richmond to New Orleans. Basically, this is one of those internal slaver ships. Uh, a guy by the name of Madison Washington, who's a slave who actually successfully escaped and fled to Canada, uh, came back from Canada to try to rescue his wife. Uh, he and some other black men capture the vessel, and they sail to the Bahamas. Uh, the Bahamas is a place where slavery was abolished. And they make it with the help of some free black fishermen. And pretty much all the captains went free, and Washington left the public eye shortly thereafter. He was like, you know what? Screw you all. I don't really want to be here. There was no legal case. He's like, I captured this ship. I got my wife. We're in the Bahamas. We're sailing the islands. I'm done. I, I left Canada. I left slavery. I'm hanging out in the Bahamas. Screw you all. Now, both ships were hailed as victories for abolitionists, and they said this is something to be emulated. Now, to be fair, the slavers don't, the slaves don't kill the slavers, all right? The enslaved folks, when they do these insurrections, they don't kill the slavers, okay? Um, they're not killing folks. They just rebel, they kind of do a mutiny, they kick the, you know, the slavers off the ship. But they are using force. They're using force to ensure their freedom. And this scares the crippity crap out of people. And it's also seen as... Um, you know, something to be emulated. And it does start getting emulated a bit more in things like the Underground Railroad. Now, the Underground Railroad, I guarantee, is something you heard about. 100% something you've heard about, the various conductors of the Underground Railroad. Semi-secret way of of escaping. Uh, There's several ways of getting around. The Underground Railroad, as we... uh, the, The one you probably know about, starts around 1830. Uh, It's very informal, very informal, kind of semi-secret. Um... Basically, it's a way to go from the Upper South into Canada. Upper South into Canada. Uh, the escapees are not, like, passive passengers. They don't just sit like, hey, congrats, we made it on the railroad. It's basically, you have to, like, it's pretty risky. You have to go from, uh, by the time they get to somewhere like the North, or more more hopefully Canada is where they're hoping to go, uh, they do try to raise money for, uh, you know, raise money for other people on the railroad or try to get somewhere to escape. Others become agents. Most famous is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, she's a fugitive slave. She is probably the most active on the Underground Railroad. 
uh, because she is a woman, because she is older, she's able to um, really make more trips than pretty much anybody else. Uh, she makes tons of trips into Maryland. That's that's mainly where she acts, is around Maryland, around slave Maryland. Um, now, there are some, if you look at this map, this is a really good map of the Underground Railroad. Uh, if you notice, there is nobody coming from the Deep South to the Underground Railroad. Uh, there's no Underground Railroad in a place like Mississippi or Louisiana, just because it's too far to go. Um... Nobody could make it from Louisiana to, like, Canada. I'm sorry, it's impossible. Plus, it's a lot easier and safer to, like, hop a ship. And, like, get on a, you know, get on a riverboat, you know, hop a ship in New Orleans so that go somewhere else. That's probably a lot safer. You do have some in places like Charleston, large free black population, a couple of North Carolina, of course, D.C. and stuff, but those are kind of upper south. The deep south, you don't have Underground Railroad. That's also something I should mention. Um... More people talked about being in the Underground Railroad after it than being actual members. Now, despite the name, there's actually very, like, no rail as part of the Underground Railroad. Uh, there is no, like, you know, technology. It's, you know, it's, it's, just a, it's just a name. However, you do have somebody like Henry Box Brown. That's one of my favorite stories. Uh, Henry Box Brown was in Richmond. He was, a, he was a, you know, enslaved person in Richmond, Virginia. He gets the idea to basically put himself into a crate and mail himself to Philadelphia. And it works. He pretty much goes in a crate by himself, a small little crate. If you go to Richmond, you can see a recreation of it. And pretty much he gets to Philadelphia, becomes a very famous uh, speaker, uh, you know, one of these anti-slavery speakers, travels around the country with his box showing it. Now, the ultimate goal for pretty much anybody on the Underground Railroad is Canada West. All right, Canada West, Ontario, that's the place where everybody wants to go. All right, uh, that's to the west of New York. It's Canada, which Canada has no slavery. Also, it's technically a foreign country, so there's no extradition. You can't, like, you know, the Fugitive Slave Act isn't going to get you. It's a growing population. It's a cosmopolitan area. And it's a fairly safe place. It's a fairly safe place, particularly after 1850, where, like, the Fugitive Slave Act is really hard on most um, former slaves. Canada seems a lot safe. Uh, a lot of black communities are around Canada West, specifically around Toronto. Uh, Toronto, Ontario is like the main place where a lot of these free people like stayed. Now, to be fair, it's still discrimination. There's still quite a bit of discrimination. Uh, just because you're in Canada doesn't mean you're free of discrimination. Doesn't mean that people are all of a sudden not racist anymore. No, there, there are tons of issues with discrimination. But there's way less of a chance of being sent back into slavery. Now, another thing that starts coming around is black militancy. All right? Uh, the, re the black militancy grew for several different reasons. Uh, all these new organizations, uh, basically all these new anti-slave tactics. Uh, the main thing, though, is basically it was too risky. It was too risky before for a black person to be militant about it. But now, thanks to all these things I've been discussing, more black leaders begin to have a more militant tone. There's also a lot of resentment of the various white organizations for being all talk and no action. Uh, Frederick Douglass is kind of a primo example of this. Uh, Frederick Douglass, you know, he starts out uh, after he leaves the AASS, after he leaves Lloyd Garrison. He, he likes Lloyd Garrison, um, but he's like, you know what, I, I, I just can't be what Garrison wants me to be. 
Uh, he feels that he was being stifled. He's like, you know, basically, he's like, people, you know, Garrison only wants me to talk about my time in slavery. I've done a lot of stuff since then. I have other thoughts about things. But Garrison only just wants me to show my scars. You know, he he, do, he only wants, uh, Garrison, how should I say this? Douglas feels that Garrison only wants him to be like a former slave, not a great orator. And so he breaks with Garrison in 1847. He has more sympathies with the Liberty Party. Uh, he also does not believe in dis- disillusion. He does not believe in separating the country. He feels that Garrison has gotten too radical as well. Uh, Douglas always hoped for a more integrated society. Uh, he always wanted a more integrated society. Uh, he didn't believe that separate black institutions are going to help in the long run. I mean, you know, he's like black churches, you know, black schools. He's like, in the long run, they're going to do more of a disservice than not. Uh, other leaders don't feel that way. Um, some feel that they need to make their own separate nation, not Liberia, but maybe Latin America or the American West. Um, remember, nothing ever really comes of that. I mean, it's not like Utah. Uh, but what they do do, even though they aren't really able to, you know, make a separate land just for African Americans, they do really convince a lot of African Americans that, um, the U.S., is being undermined by slavery, and that perhaps something should be done about it. And if nothing else, it makes it more palpable for the United States to think that a civil war could be okay to be used to solve the slavery issue. Uh, using violence against slavery was now deemed okay or acceptable. Like I said, the conclusion, this is kind of a weird chapter. Um, you know, the radical movement, they want more immediate um, abolition. Beforehand, they are talking more gradual, compensated, moral cessation, political involvement, and direct action. Some want a minority, uh, some want an independent black nation outside the United States, but most really want the U.S. to be part of the uh, black people's future. So that does it for this middle chapter. Um, Stay tuned for the return of the Jedi, which is pretty much we about to go to war. All right.